It's so good to see you today. Thanks for coming out on an icy Vancouver day and coming to worship God. Uh, I think that we uh, have one of the most incredible worship teams in the world, and they have such great heart and passion. And as impressive as they are, today I'm going to talk in the exact opposite vein. I'm going to talk about God, a God who sings over us. But before we get there, um, I want to do two things. Firstly, um, Kathy did talk about finance, and we are not a church that stands up every week and does a huge song and dance around giving. But for the last six weeks, our giving dropped 30%. And uh, we're a church plant. We didn't come uh, with denominational backing or a half a million dollar check to get started. We came with a dream and a prayer. We're halfway there. Whoa, whoa, living on a prayer. That's crown and anchor. Um, and so two things. I want to thank uh, Jehovah Jireh, the one who has kept us so far and been generous and provided. But I also want to remind you that he's Jehovah Inspirer, and he may just put it on your heart to carry this thing with us. Uh, sometimes we get funny about money in churches. Um, we really don't need to. In actual fact, I think finance is the lowest form of honor in terms of love. Uh, the real driving factor in generosity is love. It's not money. And where our hearts are, that's where our treasure is going to be. So I simply ask you, if Crown and Anchor is your church, if it's your heart, then please contribute uh, and carry this thing with us uh, because we're on to pretty exciting things. And um, I would appreciate you investing in it with us. Okay? Yay, money. Woo. All right. Let's redeem this meeting, shall we? Um, Lord, I thank you so much for my friends, and I thank you uh, for this growing, emerging group of people who have divinity living inside of them, Jesus people who love you, who are transformed by grace. We're not living by external pressure. We're living by an understanding from the inside out that God is with us. Christ in us is the hope of glory. We worship you and honor you. I pray that this would not be a church uh, that's driven by ego or self-doubt. It's not driven by pride or prejudice, uh, which is a book and a movie. Uh, but Lord, we are driven by a clear understanding um, that we are yours, we belong, and that we're loved. I pray that love would be the motivating force for everything that would happen from this minute to the minute we get back in our cars to go home today. And may it carry us all through the week and all through the year. You will always finish what you've started, and you've started a great work in my friends and me. So keep doing your work, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Please sit down. And uh, like they said before, I do not know how to tell you how loved you really are. Um, today, um, I'm going to talk about my favorite theme in Christianity. So if I get fired up, uh, it's just me. Um, be kind. Uh, don't stare at me. Let's all practice this. Come on. What is it about Vancouver in winter when people smile? You go, whoop, there's a psycho killer. <laughs> we live in a society that does not fixate on joy or goodness, on love and kindness and care. Uh, but I dream of a church that comes in a countercultural uh, way uh, into the, the, the city that we live in, that we bring hope and we bring life and we bring an eternal perspective, heaven to earth, right? Heaven to earth, living out the joy and the gladness that we find in God. Uh, today I get to talk about love. Uh, and here's the thing, if you know me, my, my, my thing that I constantly defer to is grace. I'm passionate about grace. Uh, I know me and I know that uh, sometimes grace feels unfair until you really need it. And I know for me, there's been many times in my life where it's been nothing but the grace of God that's caused me to stand. But here's the thing, grace in and of itself 
uh, is not a law unto itself. It actually flows from something even more profound than grace. If grace was just subservient to grace, then when grace would run thin, uh, we'd be in trouble. But grace always bows to a deeper concept, and that is the unconditional, immeasurable love of God that is not based on our performance, but rather God's conviction that we are His people, that He loves us. God is the ultimate show-off. He does not look at us and say, they're good enough for me to fill them. He looks at himself and says, I'm good enough to redeem them and restore them and use them. Uh, His love meets us where we're at, as the song says, but it never leaves us where we were. The transformation that we're called to as a community is not driven by external pressure. It's driven by internal love, a God that sees us as we are. Somehow in the West, we've done faith in a really crazy way. We honor those that look a certain way. We promote those that look a certain way. Uh, We try to have shiny faith out there. God does the exact opposite. In fact, the scripture says that God chooses earthen vessels, jars of clay, to show that the all-surpassing power is from Him and not from us. If you feel like you're not good enough, you are simply a story that God wants to use to show off for His own glory. If you feel like you've done too much, you are simply a story that God wants to show off His own glory. If you feel like you've done too little, and so on and so forth, we serve a God who is passionate about love and grace flows from that love and it gives us all we need to be what He's called us to be. So today I urge you not to do a thing. Just sit there. Just bask So many of our sermons uh, almost sound like to-do lists at times. It's like, give yourself to this and give yourself to that and try this. And God wants to do this inside of our hearts. Today, I just want you to raise a white flag of surrender and just sit there. Don't do anything. Just enjoy the fact that it was never your performance that gained or earned His love. It was His love for you that found you and chose you. And you are simply a recipient of the goodness of God. Let's go to Zephaniah chapter 3, verse 17. I remember um, reading this text when I was younger and being so enamored with a picture that I saw in this. For the Lord your God is living among you, presence. He is a mighty Savior, strength. He will take delight in you, with gladness. God is not apprehensive about the love that He gives. He's delighted to give it. Uh, Sometimes you might find yourself in a relationship where you're asked to do something for the other person. Like Kath might, for instance, say, JD, I need you to take the garbage out. To which I usually reply, these hands are for serving the Lord and for healing. (laughs) All of you that just looked at me like you're an idiot, that's how Kath looks at me. When I say such things, but it's true, even though we love people, we find ourselves in relationships where we made a vow or a commitment to serve people, we get a little begrudging about it sometimes. But when it comes to the love of God, He will delight in you with gladness. God's heart is not begrudging as He loves us and pours out His love on us. It's His choice. He loves us. It's not going away. With His love, He will calm all your fears. He will rejoice over you. Wait a second. God will rejoice over us. I thought it was the other way around. He will rejoice over you 
with joyful songs. All right. I just want to put God's voice in a context for you so that we don't lose the wonder of what we've just read. God spoke and said, let there be, and light appeared. God spoke and said, let there be, and creation appeared. God spoke and said, let there be, and fish and birds and weird animals in Australia and everything in between started to emerge and appear. God spoke in all the places that we spend thousands of dollars for to get to, just to take a picture of. God just spoke and those things were being. In fact, I've said this many times, but the book of Hebrews says that God upholds the universe, ever present tense, by the word of his power. When God speaks, things erupt, things happen, things emerge. Everything that is explorable in all of the universe is simply from the resonance of God's voice. That voice that speaks, when it comes to you, changes from a speaking motion to a song. And I've wondered what creation would tell us about what the song of God would even sound like. Because everything in creation ultimately is the echo of something that's true about the nature of God. So like, have you ever been in one of those valleys when it's snowing and it's quieter than any still thing you've ever heard? To me, it speaks to the peace of God's voice. What about like the roar of waterfalls? Who's ever been like close to where a waterfall's just pouring down and you hear that rumbling from miles away and as you get closer, it gets more and more intense. That power speaks to me in, in a small echo of the source that it came from, the voice that speaks power and sounds more wondrous and powerful than anything that could ever been heard. The rustling of leaves or whatever it might be in creation all speaks to a sound. Like, when did the first note of music appear? Imagine the first time. Have a little imagination with me, but imagine the first time that God sang and all of the angels peer in and go, oh my goodness, we've never heard such a thing because worship unto God is simply a reflection of God's love for himself. We join in, we tune in, and it starts to sound like songs. And I've said this before, I feel like we are so blessed. You know, when, when Alicia and Alicia, Alicia, sorry, were harmonizing and, and jumping up in different octave ranges, and my head was exploding over there in the corner, I'm like, oh my gosh, this is amazing. That is simply a, a human uh, slash divine slash human expression of the sound of the song of God. He loves us. Oh, he loves us. He will rejoice over you with joyful songs. I want to maybe hold up a couple of things that we do uh, in faith uh, together. We, We come here on a Sunday and we're happy to sing to God to varying degrees. I mean, there's Cassie who's like, whoa, dancing around and spinning like a top. And then there's the, he loves us. Oh, he loves us. And everything in between. And it's Vancouver. I've said this, it's, you know. It's about as wild as we get up here in the Northwest. <laughs> Unless Russell throws the pass and it goes over the line. And Okay, I'm going to leave that alone. Um, 
<laughs> We're happy with the idea that we bring a song to God, but any song that we would ever bring is simply a reciprocated offering from the song that he sings over you. Let's go to Romans chapter 8, verse 31. I'm just going to read scripture over you, and I just want you to sit there and bask, or bask, as I said before. So what do you think? With God on our side like this, how can we lose? If God didn't hesitate to put everything on the line for us, embracing our condition and exposing himself to the worst by sending his own son, is there anything else he wouldn't gladly and freely do for us? Secondly, we're happy with the idea of bringing something to God. But that scripture tells us we give to him, but he lavishes on us. Anytime we ever think that an offering is an initiation on our part to curry some favor, we forgot that our intrinsic existence wraps itself around the idea that even though we might not feel it at times, God's love is a constant and powerful force. The terms of relationship that he wants to relate to you and I on are not terms of apprehension. They're not um, suspicious. He doesn't hold himself at bay or at a distance. He doesn't sell himself to the rich. No, God gives himself freely to those that he loves. And anything that we bring is simply a reciprocation, an echo, uh, 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 an imperfect offering compared to the perfect offering that was given on our part. Check this out. Who would dare tangle with God by messing with one of God's chosen people. Who would dare to even point a finger? The one who died for us, who was raised to life for us, is in the presence of God at this very moment, sticking up for us. Ladies and gentlemen, a bully may come at you. That person may have said that of you. Your parent may have done that to you. Your work colleague may have done that to you. Society may have projected this on you, but at the end of the day, uh, we defend our faith, but God defends his friends. God defends his kids. Alicia sang it today, you're my defender, and it's so theologically profound uh, we tend to get shaky around stuff that we see happening around us. And, and uh, you know, if we're ever going to do journey together, there's going to be seasons where the waves are out and the seasons where the waves are in. The seasons where it feels really good and there's seasons where it may feel really, really bad and we may get shaky around the things that are transpiring around us. But please never forget that God is not only our friend, He's not only the one who sings over us, He's not only the one who lavishes over us, He's the God that rolls up His sleeves and says to the bullies, leave my kid alone. Yeah. If we panned out to 30,000 feet over our lives for a second, I wonder how much of what you do is because the voice of God was overwhelmed by the voice of someone else. How much you trust is more defined by someone's failure than by the inner love that continually sustains you. Some of my hardest seasons in life, externally, where it feels like everything's shaky, have forced some of the sweetest seasons of life internally, where you can't live in your own strength, momentum, or ego any longer. There's nowhere to hide. 
And you have to remember there's still someone who rolls up their sleeves and says, don't mess with my kids sticking up for us at this very moment. Do you think anyone is going to be able to drive a wedge between us and Christ's love for us? There is no way, not trouble, not hard times, not hatred, not hunger, not homelessness, not bullying threats, not backstabbing, not even the worst sins listed in Scripture. We perceive sometimes, ladies and gentlemen, that there's distance or a divide between us and God. Feelings come and feelings go, and sometimes our understanding of God's love for us is primarily rooted in what we feel in a given moment. But Paul's just hit some really, really big themes. And he says, even though you may perceive this distance in the shaking, God roars no way. God roars no way. I love this. None of this phases us because Jesus loves us. What a beautiful little pearl in the midst of all of these promises. And I love that word, phases us. I'm not phased by what I walk through in life. I'm not phased by what I encounter because I know that I know that I know Jesus loves me. His grace is sufficient because his love is endless. I'm absolutely convinced that nothing, nothing living or dead, angelic or demonic. I want to stop there for a sec and say um, society is uh, transfixed with the supernatural and it's real. Uh, people are shaken by dark things and people are elated by God's presence and by the angelic and uh, things that God does in our lives to show that he's real and he's in the signs and the wonders still. We live in a city that has darkness. It has great blessing. I, I love this place. I, I've loved watching over the last few years this metamorphosis that Vancouver has been going through and we get to be a part of it right here on Main Street. We didn't come here to say, look at us. We came here to say, look at what God's doing in this town. To see entrepreneurs and uh, cafe owners and business people and uh, just think urban renewal just going on. Like all day long, we sit next door in that office and we just hear uh, things being cut and sawn and hammers going. And you look around and there's a hub of activity. Uh, there's there's um, scaffolding everywhere. God's doing stuff in this town. But ladies and gentlemen, we wrestle not against flesh and blood. Some of the stuff we naturally just bite into a fence around might just be an invitation from darkness to forget that there's darkness. The history of church in Clark County is both glorious and really sad and devastating. The way that people turn on people here before they know, jump to, to conclusions before questions, the rumor-mongering of a small town is something that can destroy beautiful communities. And I just think Jesus' people are better than that. Why? Because we don't primarily relate to a God that we're in fear of. We relate to a God who gives us love as our promise and fills our cups daily saying, you are pushed into whatever adventures, challenges, and blessings that you have in your life from a place of identity and being primarily loved. So don't let the angelic or the demonic sway you. Don't let today or tomorrow, highs or lows, thinkable or unthinkable, absolutely nothing, absolutely nothing can get between us and God's love because of the way that Jesus, our master, has 
embraced us. That says to me that the conditions that we tend to put on the love that we give are obliterated by the love that he chooses to give us. Love's a funny word. It, uh, you know, I've said this before, but I, I love peanut butter sandwiches and I love my family. Slightly different value, uh, right, at the end of the day. Uh, but in English, we're so limited. Sometimes in Bible translations, I watch people quote things because of the limitation of English, and I go, oh, you just have no idea what you're saying right now. Uh, be careful. Uh, the word love right now is so over-communicated, it's lost its, its, its power. And because English is so non-dynamic in terms of pictures, unlike Hebrew and Greek, sometimes we lose some of the wonder of what that one word can represent. The three primary Greek uh, ideas for love in the, in the New Testament, we're going to be looking at these over the next month, uh, is agapeo, and that's the love that I'm raving like a madman about today. It's the love that sets me on fire. It's the love that reminds me. It's the love that keeps me. It's unconditional. It's powerful. Uh, there's other words like phileo, uh, from which we've named the city of Philadelphia. Uh, that's two Greek words put together to say the city of brotherly love. It's the, it's the second part of the great commandment that says it's not just about honoring this vertical relationship and loving God. Loving God. It's about loving our fellow man and looking after each other and looking out for each other. And as God's people, honestly, I think we should be the best at it. Then there's the word epithumia, which is the fleshy and the flashy sexual love. It's uh, dynamic and it's erotic and it's, uh, it's heartfelt and, it, and it's hot and it's, it's spicy and it's passionate. That sort of love, right? Did I just say all that in church? I think I did. Um, <laughs> and right now, society's mad on that type of love. We give the world away for that type of love. Uh, it's been cheapened. It's the driving force when it's perverted around human trafficking. It's, it's that desirous thing that gets so out of control that it starts to tear people's lives apart. And yet it's such a beautiful provision from God. It just got taken out of context. I guess the point I'm trying to make is how can we ever expect as God's people to look after our brothers and our sisters well or to live lives that are pure if we don't first and foremost understand that our administration of those things are not a to-do list that we can lose grace for or get tired in, the flow and the administration of those types of loves have to start with a correct understanding of who we are and whose we are. Don't you dare try look after someone unless you understand how God looks after you. Because your grace will run thin if it's not rooted first and foremost in agape or love. Agape love, God's love, is described uh, like this. It's unconditional. Ooh. Oh, to find unconditional love in the world. And sadly, oh, to find unconditional love in the church. It's the kind of love that's not embarrassed to stand with you. It's preferential love that is chosen and acted out by the will of the giver. It's not love based on the goodness of the beloved, ever. 
It's not upon natural affinity or emotion that comes and goes. Rather, it's benevolent love that always seeks the good of the one that receives it. It flows directly from God. It's his heart towards us. It's the primary essence of our identity. It's the driving force behind our very creation as human beings. God made humanity to walk with him. And he upgraded us after all of our bad performance. So it's unconditional. He upgraded us from walking with him in a garden to him walking inside of us, living in us, saying, whatever you perceive your perfection or imperfection to me, you are the home of the Holy Spirit. Our defender has rolled up his sleeves. Our singer has sung a constant love song. Our giver has given all he has, even himself, to us, in us, through us. What a wonder. What a wonder. If we would stop being so busy with trying to be religious and we simply stayed for a second every single day and remembered as we got out of bed, our first and primary thought is this, the love of God will carry me today and it will not run out even if I do. When I was 30, I addressed this often, um, I went through a pretty cataclysmic event in my life, um, made some really, really rough choices, and um, lost a lot of people instantly. And um, a few groups emerged, or disappeared rather, in my life, um, but it went something like this. Uh, most people that I knew exited my life completely and wanted nothing to do with me at all. I don't know if you've ever felt that sort of loneliness where there's just a lot of people in your life and you're in it for life and then you do something and then they run away. Uh, as bad as the something is that you might do, uh, the other part that as the years go on, you kind of reminisce about and you want to learn from is, man, it was so sad that relationship was so conditional. I remember writing at a really, really low point in my existence. I preached a purity I could not live to a group of people who promised a grace they would not give. When people stumble and fail, we often repay evil with evil. What's more evil, making an error or choosing to have nothing to do with someone's life based on a God who has chosen to give his self in total innocence to the most guilty in society? The love of God confounds us. It rewrites the story. It reproduces life in us when we think we're done. But when I had this moment, um, all these people disappeared. And then this other group sort of emerged, and I call them secret friends. Uh, they were happy to have a coffee with me, but they didn't want to do it in a public place. <laughs> or oh, they're happy. It's like the Nicodemus thing. You know, he shows up to Jesus in the cover of night. He's like the, the teacher in Israel. He's like, Jesus, I know what you got's real. I want to be with you, but don't tell my religious friends. Right, And honestly, I think the church probably, when push comes to shove, a lot of people kind of live in those spaces but profess to be Jesus people. Jesus ate at everyone's table. He never became, but he never pushed away. 
Guilt by association is religion. It's not love. I don't care what you are, who you are, I love you. That's my primary calling as a believer. And people are leaving the church in droves because they haven't heard the voice of heaven screaming in every interaction that God has had with humanity that it's not based on your performance, it's based on his love. And then there was this third group, and they're the ones I really want to talk about. There wasn't many of them. They weren't the coolest and the flashiest, but I had a couple of friends that took me out for Chinese food every month and would not let me go. And when people said to them, I can't believe you're hanging out with that guy, they said, I can't believe you don't understand the heart of God. And those brothers are the reason I'm standing here today. Those other two groups made me feel ill, and I made them feel ill. And we ran around in a delicate dance of being offended by each other's unrighteousness. But what Jesus had called those brothers to that stood with me was, I see a future transformation. God's love's too good to leave him there. We're going to stand with him. We're going to walk him back to health. And I want to be a part of a church that carries and bears and loves and holds on to people because ultimately this church exists because of love. Paul says it this way, we're left with faith and hope and love. Now, you try to do this without faith. A world without hope, let's see how long you last when you have no hope. Sometimes I get discouraged, which is the entry towards hopelessness. And discouragement, if undealt with, becomes this crippling, dull, uh, constant roar. It's a bit like that air conditioner behind me that I can hear. It's just kind of there, and it's kind of taking the shine off of everything. We need hope. The Scripture says hope is an anchor for our souls. It's the second part of this church's name. But Paul says, guys, if we're left with faith, hope, and love, you know what I'm going to take? I'm gonna take love because love is the essence of everything that spiritual community is. It's the essence of everything that humanity was intended to be. That's more than a peanut butter sandwich, ladies and gentlemen. That is life itself. But what commitment can we hope to sustain in the giving of love when transformation has not done its work inside of us? Oh, I I know God loves me, but... I need to get to stuff. No, 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 no. Don't you dare move another muscle until you get to the spot where you understand that all of this is simply about love. People talk about church attendance. I've never understood it once. I don't come here to like be here a certain amount of times per year. I don't come here to speak, believe it or not. I'm actually really shy. I didn't come to this country to lead a church. You guys know that story. I come to Crown and Anchor Church because it's my family. Sorry, I don't have a relative that lives anywhere nearby. They're all on the other side of another hemisphere. People go, oh, you take it really personally, stuff at church. I'm like, it's because it's my fam. It's love that compels us. It's not attendance. It's not participation. It's not what we bring. It's what we got. We sing because we're sung to. We give because we're lavished on. We've got to reverse that understanding that that makes us think it's all about what we bring to society. God brought you to society. 
And he poured everything that society needs into the mix of all of us. And the more messed up you are, you are simply the potential for a God show off. I don't care what you've done. I do not care what you've done. That does not determine if I'll walk with you or not. Now, I know that sounds radical, and everyone who gets, people get nervous when they hear that sort of stuff. Be nervous. Apparently, Jesus was secure enough to sit with everyone. See, maybe we can transform them with love. People that are broken didn't start broken. People that are really ugly and in really bad spaces of darkness in their life didn't start there. And the one thing they probably don't have is the Spirit of Jesus coming through a believer who will sit with them and say, I'm at your table, bro. I told you I get fired up when it's about love, so... I guess all I'm trying to say is imagine life that is not driven by external pressure but internal knowledge of the love of God. My friend Eden put this on her social media and I asked if I could show it uh, this morning. If you could put it up, please, uh, Kristen. Um. There you go. Don't let the internet rush you. Nobody is posting their failures. Okay, so we live in a society that is bifurcating at an internal level constantly by putting up a filtered version of themselves that is nothing like their real story. And millions and millions and millions and millions and millions of people are buying into the saga. I know if a picture of me gets on the internet and I put it on there, it's, it was like one of 30 shots and I had to like do some stuff on it and living in Vancouver, I have to throw like that Kramer filter on it constantly and, you know, make myself look a little bit more like caramel and a little less like, you know, Caramel, as you would say in the States. Car- caramel. <laughs> Isn't that how you say it? Car- caramel. It's, it's, it's caramel. Caramel. And it's, a, it's aluminium. It's not aluminum. I'm going to keep moving. Um, see, God... God didn't wait for us to put that filter on ourselves before he loved us and chose us. He really didn't. Imagine a church that just is who they are. Yes, partnering with God in transformation, but not feeling like they have to run ahead of the favor of God to get the favor of God. The language of trying to get favor is attendance. The language of the favor of God is coming together to worship. Trying to get the favor of God is the discipline of prayer. I'm not saying there shouldn't be a discipline to it. 
But if your primary thought about prayer is you got to work something up to make God hear you, he heard everything you said. You don't dress up to pray. You talk. Okay. Taking stock of your life, do you think it's more about external pressure with the Lord? Or do you think you can honestly say it's about internal knowledge of who and whose you are? Dear friends, let us love one another, for love comes from God. Everyone who loves has been born of God and knows God. Whoever does not love does not know God, because God is love. God is agapeo. God is unconditional in his pursuit of the people he made for his good pleasure, not people that he made to hate. 